love the commas, love the apostrophes, love the colons and the question marks, love the words from East Leeds FM. No, no, Lita. No, no, Lita. So hello and welcome to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. Tonight we have a short radio play later on in the programme. It's called Family Values and is written by Jane Oakshot. And also a rendering of Sam Small by Stanley Holloway by Keith Fenton. First of all though, in this recent series of interviews I've been doing, we're going to be talking to... Uh, the artist Carolyn Mendelssohn. And uh, Carolyn has had her photographic work exhibited and shown in all sorts of places, journals, magazines, all over the world. Her recent exhibition, Being In Between, has featured in The Guardian. She's just uh, raised some money through Kickstarter to publish uh, a very beautiful book of those photographs. Carolyn is based in West Yorkshire, and I talked to her recently about her work in all its different facets. So I would describe myself as an artist who uses photography and film. So um, lots of things happen during the week. Often I might be running a workshop, uh, looking at working with people for them to explore how to take better photographs or I might be commissioned to take portraits of somebody or I may be working on my own personal projects so it's really really varied and much I'm... of the time however is spent lent over my laptop by myself which is kind of unexpected for people because they always think it's a very sociable thing to do but actually majority of my time I'm kind of solo and do you do you have a studio that you work out of with other photographers and artists, or, or are you a, a sole person in that regard? I've actually just joined Chapel Street Studios, which is a new thing for me. I haven't started with them yet, and it's like a, a co-op of um, artists and designers. Um, but normally, I'm I'm freelance, self-employed. I used to have a little studio in Saltaire, but I I gave that up a while back. So I pretty much take everything with me wherever I'm going. So um, first of all, Carolyn, I'd, it'd be great to hear about a project that you're working on at the moment in these strange times we're in uh, through our lens. So perhaps you could tell us a bit about that and how it's come about. OK, yeah, through our lens has been amazing for me how it started was about a month before lockdown all my work as a as an artist and freelancer disappeared like many other people I had had an exhibition that was that was supposed to be in uh, an art gallery I had really lovely commissions um, photography and portrait commissions and a book that was due to be published. And then suddenly, within a few weeks before lockdown, everything disappeared. And that was really quite scary um, because I wasn't sure, apart 
apart from COVID-19, which in itself was really worrying, I wasn't sure how I was going to bring any money in. Um, and then I live um, near Saltaire and Bradford Council at that time put a call out for artists. I think it's two weeks after lockdown. Artists to respond to lockdown and COVID-19 and they were offering um, grants. And I thought, yeah, I sh this is something I should do. At the time, I was already, already documenting my own experience. So I was going out, taking photographs of what was happening with my family, what was happening locally. And I actually didn't want to do that for this grant. What I was interested in was finding out what was happening to young people because I was, I have three, three teenagers of my very own, and I, I was aware that young people's lives had been turned upside down. You know, their rituals, their exams had been cancelled, their routines had been cancelled, they could no longer see their friends. And I couldn't see their story anywhere. And I thought, what, what they're experiencing is really challenging for them. And it's really important to find a way of showing that. So what I proposed was to run um, workshops on um, Zoom and to mentor young people with the idea for them to be able to take photographs and document their lives. And I had a criteria and that was they didn't need to have a camera. They didn't need to have taken a photograph in the, ever in their lives but they just needed to want to be part of the project. So I did a call out. Because I felt they weren't represented. So um, I got the grant and then it was a case of, I put together a flyer that I shared online on all social media platforms. And really it was about asking young people whether they wanted to be part of a new project which involved them learning how to use their phones or their cameras and um, they, all they needed to do was to be between 13 to 19 and just be keen to be part of it, to work with me. And I shared that on every single social media platform and I got people to reshare as well. Mm. And then I started to get responses and I then basically sent them a questionnaire mm. uh, about what their experience was. I really didn't want it to be targeted at people who already knew everything there was about photography. That's what, that wasn't what this was about. So once I got those pe young people, and I got about 20 in the first group, I worked out when, what the best platform was to use for them. And then I worked out the best time and started running kind of workshops and sessions with them online once a week. Sounds absolutely wonderful. So, so, so yes, what, what, how, and then what was the next stage? So the next stage at that point was to encourage them to send me their images. And I would always say to them, it, the image doesn't, it doesn't, I don't want you to please me. I want you to send just to show me, just to be experimental, just to be playful. But the most important thing is that we can see what you're, what's happening in your world. So they sent me their images and sometimes they'd write about them. And then I shared them on Instagram. 
And then from Instagram, I shared those images onto Twitter. On again, I was I was really active on social media because their work was really amazing and um, very strong and very raw. And um, the more I shared it, the more other people saw that work. So they started to be followed by curators internationally. It was really bizarre. Curators and art, well-known artists and gallery owners and lots of different people. Um, and it always felt, whenever they would send me their images, it always felt to me like they were almost giving me a present. It was such a delight to get them. And I, every week I'd also go through the images they sent as well. Um, and so, very soon they started to get, there was a lot of media in, interest. BBC were interested in them, um, Huffington Post. So a lot of people started to see that work. And then it kind of almost got onto an international platform. And for the young people, that was incredible. Because if you think about it, they were pretty much locked down. Yeah. Um, so suddenly their work was being seen and applauded and... Um, the next stage really was I wanted to make sure that that group, there was more diversity in, in the group. So people from backgrounds who wouldn't normally have this kind of activity. Yeah. So I, I set up another group and that took quite a while. And I worked with Bradford College as well. And I was really interested in working with young people who didn't have a voice, particularly those who were... Um, refugees or or those who whose English was a second language but also those from different kind of backgrounds mm. and that was the second group so I was then working with 40 young people wow which is bonkers really isn't it I was working like <laughs> 10 hours a day <laughs> and and the work what was what has been really exciting is that um, impressions gallery in Bradford which is a contemporary photography gallery with an international reputation um, decided they loved the work so much that they wanted to exhibit the work next year in their major summer exhibition. And I was saying to, to the group, you know, I've spent years, years as an artist trying to get my work there and you've had like eight weeks. <laughs> but, but it's the strength of their work, I think. And um, also Bradford Council set up a, um, a thing called Our Street Gallery and they wanted to show the work of through our lens. So we've had that work has been all over the district from Ilkley to Keithley to Bradford on billboards, on um, posters, on advertising hoardings um, as little guerrilla interventions. And it's been really well received. So that's been phenomenal. That sounds, sounds great. And, and really that leads on to being in between because also a project with young people and uh, yeah. with young people's uh, faces and they're, they're very, very striking. Tell us about how the provenance of that project and, and yeah. if you could describe uh, how, how it came about and, and what it is really. Being in between is um, what it is, portraits of girls aged between 10 to 12. So it's portraits of them as they are in the clothes of their choosing. And they're very 
um, powerful portrait. So my, my idea was that I wanted those girls to almost be seen as, as being strong and who they are and as portraits to be able to be in an art gallery. I very much was influenced by the Dutch painters with my lighting. But the starting point of that, um, I'm you know, a photographer and artist and I really love doing my own personal work. And I always had a very strong memory of being 10, 11 and 12 and feeling incredibly uncomfortable and feeling like I had all these huge thoughts in my head that I couldn't really um, explain to anyone. I mean, they were kind of philosophical thoughts, I guess, and worries about the world. Um, and also I was very self-conscious and I have an, an abiding memory that I always talk about when I talk about being in between about a very hot day um, when my dad was making, was doing a barbecue. And I was probably about 11 and I was quite a small 11 year old, but I always wore lots of layers. And it was such a hot day that I thought maybe I should wear a pair of shorts. And it's kind of ridiculous, really, in some ways. But I remember spending about two hours obsessing about should I wear a pair of shorts? Shouldn't I wear a pair of shorts? And then eventually deciding I would. And then they were probably bright green and walking to the top of the stairs and then hearing my dad and him looking up and saying a kind of flippant your legs look really white and chubby in those shorts and I was like oh right okay <laughs> and running back to my room changing back into all my layers never saying anything about it and then just thinking okay I've got really big white chunky chunky legs and I don't probably will never show them in my life <laughs> and and I think looking back on that thinking about why is it at that age that little comments that are made to you become who mm. how you see yourself yeah. they start to affect how you the adult in you or how you become an adult and um it was only when i got older that i realized that this feeling about myself this physical the, the feeling about how i looked was actually not based in any sort of reality and i wanted to explore that by giving girls of that age the opportunity to have their portrait taken. Um, but as they are, I don't want them to pose. They just look straight into the lens. I light the work so that um, they're very powerful and um, they choose their own clothes. Their parents are, or guardians are not allowed to. And then I interview them. And I think the main thing is that they understand what that project's about. And that was, I started that six years ago. Mm. Yes, I mean, so, they, yeah, are, they are really striking, I think partly because of the very direct gaze and also because of the, light, the lighting that you mentioned. It's, it does have a slightly, yeah, kind of classical look about it, each, uh, you know, yeah. the, the project as a whole. And, I mean, yeah. how do those girls, f f I mean, so you can't collectively talk about them, I suppose, there were so many, but... Uh, how do they feel about these portraits? Well, I mean, I, you know, a lot of ways I feel very connected to each and every one of them because I've spent some time mm. with each of them. And I, they, um, many of them feel so proud to be part of it. Mm. And that piece of work got lots of publicity as well, I think. It, you know, it, it's been exhibited about three times. It's been in um, the media. It's been in the Guardian it's been on Huffington Post and BuzzFeed and for the girls um, there was one girl called Abby 
who was 10, and the work was being shown in Hull at very early stages. And Abby, I did a call out for girls to have their portraits taken whilst that work, work was being exhibited. And this girl, Abby, came along. She was 10. And, and, you know, of course, I say, choose what you want to wear. Abby came in this long, dark cloak. She was dressed in black. She had a sword. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then I took her portrait. And I was kind of worried because I thought, how am I going to light this? My background's quite dark. And will it work? Mm -hmm. And then Abby stood in front of my lights. And she was so, she was really regal. And I took the portrait of her. And her, um, I remember asking her questions and her saying, when I'm older, I want to be an architect. And with the money, I'm going to move to Romania and rescue wolves. And she was just amazing. So, mm. so her, her father had said to me that she got to a point, she was just getting to a point where she started to feel very self-conscious about whether she should wear these kind of clothes because her friends were starting to tease her. Now, her, her picture was um, commented on on BuzzFeed by people from all over the world. And it was like, Abby's so cool. I want to be like Abby when I'm grown up. And this was by adults. And, and so Abby became like this icon. Hmm. <laughs> and so she was from this 10-year-old girl who was feeling self-conscious about whether she should wear what she wanted. She became celebrated. And for her, it had a massive positive hmm. effect on her. She's now 15, 16 now, I think. And um, she stopped out. She's just started going with what she wanted. It's amazing, really. Absolutely. And I think, yes, you, you get some of that with all of the ones I've seen. You get that sort, yeah. that sort of de the sense of determination, but also of fragility. And I think that, that combination yeah. is extraordinary. And I think also, as soon as you see one of those portraits, it takes you back to that time in your life. And, of course, you don't have to, to, to be... You know, either gender to 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 Absolutely. to remember how, as you say, those excruciating moments of self consciousness uh, yeah. and and outrage sometimes as well. But yeah. uh, it's yeah. uh, how dare somebody say that? Or why am I feeling like that? The sort of confusion. So I think it's it, and but the directness of them is is really uh, is is very strong. Um, yeah, so, I wanted to. Go on, Karen, um, yeah. I'll just one thing about the directness. I I purposely chose for those girls to look straight into the camera as if they were really looking at somebody. Because in my imagination, I was imagining them already as huge prints in an exhibition. And you go in and these girls are all looking at you. And it's usually the other way around. We look at pictures of people, don't we? We don't feel that we're being looked at, but they absolutely look at us. So yeah. that's another interesting thing for them, I think. So, Carolyn, at this point, it would be good to have a piece of music that you've chosen before uh, we, we go on, because there are lots of other questions I want to ask you. But, yeah, so the first piece of music that you've chosen, tell us about that. Um, when I was a, a kid, a child, I discovered Kate Bush, and I was completely entranced by her and her theatricality and her music and everything about her, I thought, was absolutely astounding and now of course I live in Yorkshire and the her Wuthering Heights song means a lot more I've, I've done I've run workshops and I use Kate Bush in the background I've run workshops on those moors so yeah it's just absolutely I just love I love her and I love this piece as well 
Okay, so we, we heard there Kate Bush chosen by Carolyn Mendelssohn, the, uh, the photographer, the artist. And um, we're, we're talking to Carolyn about her work in photography, but I'm going to be asking her about what she did before that, which is when actually I met Carolyn many years ago. But first of all, Carolyn, um, do you have any starting points, any sort of philosophical starting points for, for your work in general as a photographer? I um that's a really interesting question. Um I want work that is meaningful in some ways as a photographer that communicates to people that tells a story. I think maybe story is the starting point for me in all my work. Um even when I'm doing commercial work as a photographer, I'm always looking for an angle or a story or a mess or something that comes from the people that I'm taking portrait of. Um, 
I love doing fashion work as well because again that's theatrical and story based. So um, I yeah I I want to make work that has an emotional content. I'm I just, think that's very clear I think from the work that I've seen. But you you use text as well. Um, yeah. How important is is text in relation to the to the to the image i mean obviously you must produce images which don't have text attached but what does the yeah. text add so it's um if you if we're looking at being in between as an example the text actually comes from i interviewed the girls with the same series of questions and then i recorded that and then for the exhibition i cut that sound and worked with the composer and we made a soundscape that added to the exhibition it became like an installation and then for each um, each portrait, I take a section of the interview. Um, I want the work to stand up on its own, photographically and artistically, just as as a portrait. But then what each thing adds another layer to it. So I guess it's adding different layers. So it becomes not just about the visual, it becomes about the um, different things that add to the story. Great. And just whilst we're on being in between, uh, you've just um, you've just carried out a very successful Kickstarter campaign for the publication of the book. Tell us about that and where that's going and, and how we can get hold of the book. So um, I uh, about two years ago, I was approached by Blue Coat Press, who are a really great social documentary publisher, so social documentary photography publisher. And I'd um, sent them some of my images and they were really interested in publishing them as a book. And I was really delighted now because for various reasons, we never got started. The, 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 they, work, they work with Kickstarter in order for people to pre-order the books. So um, Colin from Blue Coat Press, we were going to do it at the start of the year. Then it was cancelled. Then it was COVID-19 and then... Um, a few months ago, Colin got back in touch and said, you know what, I think we should do it anyway, because people are still um, buying books. And I was like, oh, OK, with my head, I'd put being in between aside and I was really focused on through our lens. But I was like, OK, so I, I then had to put the Kickstarter together with with um, with Colin. You can buy a book, mm. you can contribute financially or you can get a print or you can have your name put in the back. Um, and it was um, our target was eight thousand five hundred. It was so nerve wracking, though, Peter. It was like, <laughs> oh, you know, at first first day it was really great, and then I got thirty percent in the first day, and then it was like nothing crickets for like eight <laughs> hours, and you get you, <laughs> you get upset. I got obsessed with just checking. checking. I thought, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no, it's not going to. And this is day two of twenty eight days, and I'm going into tail spin and then um you know i i basically try to you, when you're doing a kickstart you have to get it out there constantly to show people to interest people so um people really love the idea and so people um i've got people have pre-ordered that book from all over the world which i find quite astounding um and we kind of got a nikon also got on board and sponsored it which mm. is really exciting right um which was great and and as did impressions gallery um and that's all helped so the book is we're designing it at the moment then um 
it goes to once the design is completely finished it goes to the um the publisher and so therefore the book will be available in november and it's hard to put it any earlier than that because things times are difficult timings are difficult at the moment so the book will be ready sent out in november and the, it should be available on Blue Coat Press website, and I should probably have a few copies as well that I can sell. So great. And it, oh, I think Salt's Mill in Salt Air will have some copies, and possibly Impressions Gallery. I can see it uh, sitting very nicely, uh, propped up on one of those tables at Salt's Mill. <laughs> That'd be great. I'll just stand. I'll stand next to it and just point point people towards it <laughs> i'm sure it won't need pointing at but um carolyn I, this is a rather seems probably a strange time in this interview to go back but I, I you know i note that you call yourself an artist so that implies rather than you know a photographer perhaps at the moment but you have been other things before and you might be other things yeah. in the future and I will come on to that yes. but how did you what did you do before photography and what 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 changed how did you suddenly take this direction I um years ago um I trained as an actor and that was my big ambition and my big dream was to be an actor from a really, really young age, I was very focused in, in doing that. So I trained as an actor. I then moved into um, performing in all kinds of shows. And then I, I never felt I was as good as I wanted to be. I was always criticising myself and sitting on my own shoulder. And um, I actually, what I was more interested in was the creative ideas behind a theatre piece. So I worked in lots of new new theatre um, and, and physical theatre and dance theatre and I started to direct performances and then I um, again I was interested in story stories from people we used to call it documentary theatre it's now called verbatim and I was also interested in using other art forms like film and projecting that into theatre as well and I think when you met me I had been working with a company called Remold Theatre Company yeah who did, I just spent 18 months with them and co-directed their com last community play, which was a huge epic play called No Surrender. And then that company's funding was cut and I was kind of pretty much um, working with a couple of people on that team. And then you and I got together to do some work. Mm. Um, but I, uh, after that, I was, I think the idea of how you can make performance engaging on all levels um, I started to use film. Um, I was never taught to use film. I just always had this belief that if I had an idea, I may as well try it out. So I started to use film projection, Super 8, um, working with dance and performance and film projection and sound as well. And then organically, I was being commissioned as a filmmaker artist to do big site-specific work. Um, we did a piece called Lumino, which is a two-screen projection onto the side of the P&O ferries in Hull. And um, also, I did a p opened up Brussels City of Culture, and I loved, there were big, audacious projects. And though they were kind of scary in terms of their size, I used to feel, you may as well think big if the pressure, I always feel very anxious about a lot of work I do before I do it, but I think, 
I feel nervous about work that small as much as I do about a bigger piece. <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, may as well do really big work because my anxiety is the same. So I started doing big pieces of work. And then I had my son Oscar and then I moved to Bradford and I had Poppy and Sam and I could no longer do any of this work, um, which for me was really difficult because I'd always seen myself as a creative. Um, and one day I, I think Poppy, my youngest, was probably about seven months old and I had been given a camera by my husband, um, John, and I'd always kind of ignored it, which sounds, sounds silly now, but I picked it up and it was like I had an epiphany that I could be creative, but I could use a stills camera. I didn't need to be traveling everywhere or being everywhere. I could be a parent and I could also be a creative. So I went on a complete crazy learning curve mm -hmm. using a stills camera. So that's how the photography came in. And I mean, you, so you, you, you take photographs now, but um, in the future, yeah. do you, I mean, do you see yourself um, staying with photography? It's hard to say, I, I guess, especially in the present circumstances. But uh, yeah, how do, you, how do you see it in the future? Could you go into some well, other kind of medium altogether? I, I do film work as well. So I, I still see myself as a filmmaker, photographer. Really, I use whatever I have got in my toolkit. So it can have a performative aspect to it. So my, though I might exhibit being in between, it's got sound, it's very theatrical in some ways. So I use whatever I have got that can tell the story in the best way. Um, also, because of Through Our Lens and because of lockdown, what I realized was that I am at my happiest when I'm doing work that has some meaning or has some engagement with other people. So enabling these teenagers to be creative felt wonderful to me. And I've just put in a huge Arts Council lottery application form for the two, two years, two more years of working with that group. So we'll see. They're, they're all really keen and I've also got some really fantastic patrons on board and partnerships with other groups. So I'm going to continue doing that. Fingers crossed it gets funded. You never know. You know what it's like. Absolutely. It's really hard. <laughs> you never. So I'm, um, yeah, next year being in between is also being exhibited as long as there isn't another lockdown. It's being exhibited at Impressions from January and the book will be out. And yeah i'm i'm kind of a free spirit when it comes to work I, great i don't def, i don't define my creative path i just go with it i think um i would love to be able to work out the essence of why through our lens has worked and then maybe create explore that method of working so it can work with other groups it doesn't have to be young people it just happens i was interested in their story but I think it could be with anyone who is disempowered or trapped or doesn't have a voice it would be a great way of working with them. Karen it's been really great to talk to you after all these years but also just to talk <laughs> to you about where you are with your work and where you're going with it um, and if people want to look at your work gathered together in one place have you got a website yeah I know I think you have but maybe you could give yeah. it to us. 
I've got a couple of websites. I have my commercial website, which is carolynmendelsonphoto.com. And then I'm just, I'm just actually looking up my other one because it's not got such a simple, um, it hasn't got as, as simple a title. Um, I can also be found on Instagram. So you can look Carolyn Mendelssohn, all one word, on Instagram. And that also has links. Being in between, being dot in between is on Instagram as well, as well as through our lens. Um, and I'm just looking for my other, other website because that's more my artist one. So you can also find carolyn-mendelssohn.format.com and that's got more of my personal work and more of my artistic work. So yeah, it's all over. You just it's need to Google over. my name and you'll find bits <laughs> everywhere. Great. Thanks, Carolyn. And one final piece of music, if you will. It's, um, I never know how to pronounce this, but it's Sigurros and the piece is Hoppy Pola. And it's just very haunting and very beautiful and um, inspiring, inspiring music. Thanks, Carolyn. And all the very best for your projects uh, in the near future and beyond. Thank you very much, Peter.
Love the haiku. Love the sonnet. Love the quatrain and the couplet. Love the words. From East Leeds FM. Family values, or Grandad's farewell. It's 1947 and Britain is still recovering from World War II. Bomb sites gape, food and petrol are still rationed, and black marketeers flourish amid the general austerity. In Balaclava Street, Leeds, family life carries on much as before. Take number 15, where three generations live together in harmony. Well, some of them do. So you see, my boy, the prince won the battle and kept his honour too. Ace, Grandad. But what happened to the wicked uncle? He met a bad end, as the wicked always do. Like wicked stepmothers? Now then, Tom, I'm sure Mavis does her best. Dad's been horrible since she married him. Tommy, your dad's had a lot to come. What are you doing in here? Sorry, Dad. Don't get them ends in. Yes, Dad. And as for you, you know Mavis expects that boy to pull his weight. Sorry, son. And get out of that chair. That's Mavis's chair now. I forgot. You're more forgetful as you get older. And useless. But I never scorn my old dad for it. If your mother was alive now... Well, she's not. You're in a draft there, Gramps. Get near the fire. I'm all right here, lad. Yes, he's beginning to know his place. And Alf's beginning to know his. Alf, have you spoken to him yet? Who, love? Your father, of course. Well, it's not easy to tell him he can't... You are such a coward. Look, and I tell him we can't look after him. We can't. We can't look after him. Who does all the cleaning and washing and cooking around here? I don't see you queuing up to cut his toenails. He does his own toenails. It's not about toenails. Sorry, love. He's taking up valuable space. Valuable? I'll be needing that room for a lodger. Lodger? A Mr Figgins is coming tomorrow for a viewing. But you never said... So tell your father to start packing. So, Mr Figgins, what makes you think we have a room to let... I heard you talking about it. Indeed. Oh, post office, queue for the new ration card. I had thought you were well suited at number 12. Elsie Way's very respected round here. Very clean house. And she'll see you well fed, will Elsie? Well, you know how it is. I'm not sure I do. Well, the fact is, I'm making quite a bit more than I was. Oh, I see. Elsie's all right, but she doesn't like a chap having a drop on a Saturday night. You're looking for somewhere a bit more accommodating. <laughs> That's right. So when I heard that you'd got rid of your father... Father-in-law. It's not quite settled yet. Have you got the room or not? We shall have. Very soon. I don't call that nearly settled. I think I've been a bit previous. I've told Alf his dad's got to be out by Saturday. I'm sure you'd be well suited here if we can agree a rent. 
Ah, of course. I'd have to see the room first. It's right up these stairs. Good morning, listeners. Good morning, good morning, and a great morning it is too. Today I'm in Leeds, where I'd like you to meet someone very special who's allowed me into her home absolutely out of the blue to talk to her about furniture polish. Hello there, I'm Jake Daniels, and you are... Pleased to meet you. <laughs> oh, that's very good. And you are... Pleased to meet me. Yeah, that's excellent. I'm glad we found such a witty lady. Now, Stella. Elsie? Elsie Way? Now, Elsie, I've come to ask you a few questions in front of all these thousands of listeners, but I don't want you to be nervous. You're not nervous, are you? It depends what you mean by nervous. Of course not, because I have just two simple questions to ask you. Are you ready? Well... Jolly good. So, first question. Are you at all house-proud? I like to keep a nice home for my lodgers. And I'm sure your husband appreciates that also. I doubt it. He's been dead ten years. Right. As you can see, listeners, this interview is absolutely unscripted and unrehearsed. So, Elsie, tell me, what brand of polish do you use to keep all this old furniture, all this antique furniture, so very bright and fragrant? I don't rightly know. I've always... Ah! Whiz! You said whiz! I knew it had to be whiz that you used! No, I didn't know what the lady would say any more than you did. That's how we run this show, because we have a total belief that whiz works wonders! Well, father-in-law... Now you've made such a point about talking to me in private, have you anything particular to say? All in good time, Mavis. I'm thinking out the best way. In that case, I'll go and finish the ironing. Sit down. I shan't be a burden to you for much longer. Oh, for goodness sake! You're always very busy, Mavis. I hope I'll find it a comfort to him. No, just listen. When my dear wife died, I thought I should never see the year out myself. I didn't even want to. I never saw much of Alf when he was growing up. Me being away so much, I suppose. The army's choice, not mine. So it was good of Alf to say I should come and live here. Well, young Tommy and I get on fine. But as for the rest... You don't need to say it. I've been a cow. Little Tom made me see that yesterday. Mavis? You don't call me that. You call me M for Mavis. Well, then, M for Mavis. Just M. For Mavis? Where exactly are you sending Grandad off to live? It's the Public Assistance Institution. You mean the workhouse. Well, I need the address. Why should a little boy like you need the address of a hotel for old people? I need it so I know where to send you and Dad when you're past it. Oh, you cheeky little soul. Yes, little Tom was so sweet and he made me see how awful I've been. But now you've had that little win on the pools, things will be a bit easier. That's the other thing I was trying to tell you. That little win was rather a big win. 
Dad! So I've put some aside for young Tom. And the rest? Well, shan't have any difficulty knowing who to share that with. Oh, Dad, it's going to be wonderful. Yes, I've always been fond of Elsie. What? Elsie, two doors down. You're not getting me into an old folks' home. I'm going to marry Elsie Way. She's like me. She has a great regard for family values. Family Values was written by Jane Oakeshott. Grandad was played by Richard Rustle. Tom by Rachel Gillibrand. Alf by Marietta. Mavis was played by Maggie Mash. Mr Figgins by Jonathan Drummond. Jake Daniels by Alexander Lees. And Elsie by Jane Oakeshott. The sound engineer was Alexander Lees, assisted by Jonathan Drummond. Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. Quando eu canto e a chuva cai. Sam Small by Stanley Holloway. It occurred on evening before Waterloo, and troops was lined up on parade. The sergeant inspecting me were a terror, of whom every man were afraid. All excepting one man who were in front rank, a man by name of Sam Small, and him and the sergeant were both daggers drone. They thought not of each other at all. As sergeant walked past, he was swinging his arms, and he happened to brush against Sam, and knocking his musket clean out his hand, it fell to ground with a slam. Pick it up, said Sergeant, abrupt like, but cool. But Sam, with a shake of his head, saying as thou knocked it out of me hand, perhaps thou pick the thing up instead. Sam, Sam, pick up thy musket, the Sergeant exclaimed with a roar. Sam said, I knocked it down, and they'll pick it up again, or it'll stay where it is on the floor. The sound of our words very soon reached the ears of an officer, Lieutenant Bird, who says to Sergeant, Now what's all this here? And the Sergeant told what had occurred. Sam, Sam, pick up thy musket, Lieutenant explained with some heat. Sam said he knocked it, Henry, he'll pick it up again or it stays where it is at me feet. It caused quite a stir when Captain arrived to find out what the cause of the trouble and every man there, all except Sam, were full of excitement and bubble. Sam, Sam, pick up thy musket, said Captain for strictness renowned. Sam said he knocked it down, right, he'll pick it up again or it stays where it is on ground. The same thing occurred when Major and Colonel both tried to get Sam to see sense. But when old Joker Wellington come into view, well, the excitement were really quite tense. Up rode the Joke on a lovely white horse to find out the cause of bother. He looked at the musket and then at old Sam and he talked to old Sam like a brother. Sam, Sam. Pick up that musket, the joke said as quiet as could be. 
Sam, Sam, pick up that musket. Come on, lad, just to please me. All right, Joe, said old Sam, just for thee I'll oblige, and to show thee I meant no offence. So Sam picked it up. Greatly, lad, said Joke. Right, old boys, let battle commence. Love the cases, love the clauses, love the adverbs and the antecedents, love the words. From ELFM. So thank you so much to Keith Fenton for rendering Sam Small by Stanley Holloway. And before that, thank you to Jane Oakshot for her play Family Values. Jane Oakshot and friends there. And before that, the artist Carolyn Mendelssohn. Next week, I shall be talking to David Price, OBE, writer and educator about his new book, The Power of Us, about change in this world of ours at the moment. Looking forward to the future and also looking very uh, in a very timely and current way at what is happening now during the covid period so finally tonight uh, the latest in my series of song portraits i've been producing eight nine ten of these song portraits of and about older people in leeds funded by leeds inspired this recent one is called for dorothy It's as my dad would always say If at first you don't succeed If at first it doesn't work Come at it another way She had a dream, my mama Said she wanted one of her daughters to be a nurse but high school wasn't for me So I went to work in a tailor's in George Street Trained to be a seamstress Made my own wedding dress Married at 21 But I always wanted to work with children Well, I couldn't be a nurse, wasn't going to be a nurse So I started on my own, a preschool playgroup from home Always wanted to do that, a place for the children to play and the mums to chat I was also a guide captain
Bringing up children, there's no secret to it All children are different, all families have their own way If a child's in the sandpit, another child knocks down her castle Look, you say, I'll help you build it again Build another castle I have four great-grandchildren You keep thinking they've forgotten to ring But then they do They're just young And whatever age you are This has not been an easy thing Take your time with the song I'm fine as long as I don't have to sing It will come in time it will come in time It's as my dad would always say If at first you don't succeed If at first it doesn't work Come at it another way it's as my dad would always say If at first you don't succeed If at first it doesn't work Come 